Welcome to Bravery Trek Run Ashore, a podcast for Bravery Trust in partnership with Content Group. Welcome to another episode of Run Ashore, the podcast that follows this year's route for the Bravery Trust fundraiser, Bravery Trek. I'm Mark Cooper, and thank you for joining me. As we continue to understand 12 locations that are significant to the Royal Australian Navy around Sydney Harbour, we're today joined by Captain Victor Policic, who will help us to better understand the history and the significance of HMAS Cuttable. Victor, thanks for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So are we. Um, so, Victor, can you tell us a little bit about your, your personal story and your, your career background? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm an immigrant, uh, having come to Australia with my mum and dad uh, back in the early 70s. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a typical grow- growing up as, as any immigrant in that era. And at some point decided that I really wanted to do something very different and, uh, uh, and gave the Navy a go. Uh, applied and fortunately enough, uh, and I proved my dad wrong, uh, you didn't have to be a white Anglo-Saxon to get in the Navy as an officer, and I got in. So, uh, and, and I've been proving him wrong ever since. But uh, yeah, started my career in the Navy in uh, 1987 and uh, and uh, went through, learned to drive ships, uh, navigate, uh, became an anti-submarine warfare specialist, and then moved on to some staff jobs uh, in Canberra, uh, 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 over in Perth, Sydney, uh, with command of um, of a patrol boat out of uh, Darwin. I was also second in command of Canimbla during the uh, Bandarache uh, flood flood relief after the tsunamis um, back in uh, 2004. That must have been amazing, Victor. What an experience! Oh, look, it, it was. Uh, you don't appreciate the devastation of uh, a body of water like that until you've gone on the ground afterwards and had a look. And I was fortunate. I I only did it in short stints, but we had some amazing uh, people, Navy, Army, and Air Force, uh, doing some great work in helping the local population there. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing that. And, and uh, you know, we've spoken about this before with some of our other guests. Is you know, we often forget just all of those other kind of services that our Australian Defence Force actually does for us as a nation and and for our neighbours. And uh, that that work that you know was done after that tsunami was obviously so important to our our you know, our regional colleagues. Oh, that's right. That's right. And and we look, we continue to do it today with the flood assist and. Uh, you know, getting people off the shores when uh, when New South Wales is burning. So it, it's marvellous to see the help that we generate. Yes, yes, absolutely. So uh, my, my sort of career took me in a slightly different way to the norm and uh, ended up uh, in command of a of uh, Kunawara up in uh, Darwin for a couple of years. And uh, from there, like all roads lead back to Canberra, spent another few years in Canberra. Uh, before I uh, was given the privilege of taking command of Cuttable here in Sydney. Uh, and I, and I, I will be very honest with you, like so many of us in the Navy, we take Cuttable and Garden Island for granted. We only see it as a place where we put our ships alongside and it allows, to get, allows us to go ashore and have a good time. But now that I'm in command and I see what they actually generate here and what is provided, I have this uh, uh, newfound respect uh, for for the base, 
Yes. And are you living on the base or near the base, Victor? Hey, look, I'm, I'm so fortunate. Uh, there is a house allocated for me. Uh, so I get to live on Garden Island proper. Um, and I've got a nice little uh, view out towards uh, Shark Island. Um, and uh, but, but I do also get all of that bad weather that rolls down the harbour as well. Uh, and I can't get away from it. But, you know, I'm put, glad to put up with that. For the beautiful uh, location and the views and uh, perfect spot for new year's eve fireworks yeah i'm just thinking a, a sunday afternoon barbecue at your place would be rather nice looking out over the harbour from that location yeah it's not too bad <laughs> <laughs> uh, so tell us a bit about uh, hmas cuttable victor where, where is it located exactly and uh, i suppose what sort of size is the base oh look you know it was it was an interesting question that um uh, because uh, it, it's one of those things, it's, it's, it's always growing. Um, throughout its history, Garden Island has gone from being an actual island uh, to, uh, to being connected to the mainland at uh, Potts Point. Uh, and uh, at the moment, we're looking at about 50 acres, right slap bang in the middle of Sydney, uh, at, at the bottom of King's Cross, right next door to Woolloomooloo. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, we, we are part of the community here. Uh, we've got residents that are right on our border and they can see what we're doing every day and uh, we try not to see what they're doing. <laughs> right. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about the history of the location, Victor? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, Garden Island itself, as I said, used to be an island and, um, and this is one of the amazing things that I discovered about this place is that... Um, uh, 1788, uh, Navy has had a presence uh, in this area for that entire time. And, and obviously, uh, and I pay my respects to the traditional owners of this, uh, uh, the land and the sea around us here, uh, the, the Gadigal people, um, who would have been the first peoples that saw a white man arrive ashore uh, here um, uh, and, and that interaction. And, and I won't go into that part of history, but uh, we, we, we know that it wasn't always rosy. Uh, but uh, we, we've moved forward and Navy has had a presence, Royal Navy to start with, has had a presence here. And the interesting thing about Garden Island, and I know we're meant to be talking about Cuttable, but it's all intertwined these days. Uh, Garden Island was named so because of the fact that um, that, uh, that 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 fleet of ships, uh, HMS Sirius, uh, they actually had a market garden. Uh, that they established on the island, and hence Garden Island, and that was used to supply them their fresh produce uh, for quite a period. Um, so, uh, so uh, look, I'll quickly go through the history. Uh, needless to say, that Garden Island wasn't always under the control of um, of Navy. There was a period there from 1820 to about 1860, uh, where the Governor of New South Wales decided to requisition the island, and and you, you may have heard about this in a previous podcast. Uh, but Navy finally got its hands back onto it, and it was decided to establish the the Australia Station uh, here in this precinct. And as we move forward, um, oh, one thing I will say: Garden Island was known as Baringo. Um, and uh, Potts Point was Derawan, uh, the traditional um, uh, language that was used here. And, and it was a significant area for the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Uh, so, um, so uh, yeah, we, we try to maintain a, a, a bit of an understanding of that. And we have close links with, uh, 
with the uh, the local peoples now through Metropolitan and uh, and La Perouse, uh land councils. Thank you for bringing that up, Victor. I think it's so important for for all of us to you know to recognise and respect the tens of thousands of years that the traditional owners were in that area. And as you know, somebody who lives down here in Canberra, but is originally a Sydney boy, I was amazed here in Canberra to understand you know the length of time that the local people here have been on this land. Uh, there's a place called Gibraltar Peak, which is just uh, just south in the Namadji National Park, and there's some caves up there. They've dug down and they've done uh, you know testing of of bones and um, coal and things from fireplaces, and it goes back well past the last ice age to about 20, 22, 25,000 years ago. And so, you know, the history of, of Indigenous people living around Sydney um, goes back well beyond anything in, you know, Europe and North America, and it's just so important for us to recognise and respect that. No, that, no, you're absolutely right, and we continue to maintain our, our links and interaction with the local peoples here now, uh, which which is really good. It's good for us to have a better understanding, and it actually makes um, makes the experience of working here uh, far more meaningful as well. To recognise that there is a, such a significant history associated with this region. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, you know the, that that's the Garden Island side of things. Um, but as we move forward, uh, it was, I think it was in 1901. Uh, when, when um, all of the Commonwealth navies around the country uh, unified and it was decided to hand over this region uh, here at Garden Island Potts Point to, to Navy and it became a more stable uh, a place for, for the Navy to operate. And, and then we, we moved uh, along to um, uh, the First World War and, and that interaction there. Uh, interestingly enough, something I discovered in, the, uh, in my uh, research was that um, uh, ships that participated in the, uh, the Boxer Rebellion in China were staged from here. Uh, from from uh, from Garden Island, so that's one of the things that I didn't quite pick up on before. But uh, it's amazing what you discover when you have a bit of a read. Yes, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Yeah, because there is another episode where we interviewed Rear Admiral retired Simon Cullen, and he he mentioned that, which um, I certainly wasn't aware of. And it's it's a fascinating time for Australian maritime history in Sydney Harbour. Oh, that's right. It was it was interesting. You talk about uh, interesting times for us. Uh, one of the big reasons why it was decided to uh, uh, have a more significant naval presence here was the arrival of the uh, the American White Great White Fleet. It was uh, in the uh, 1911, I think it was, and the, and the, uh, the Great White Fleet arrived and it, it so shocked everyone that they could get here so easily. It was decided to put more effort into into having an Australian, uh, Australian Navy from that point onwards. Uh, so really, uh, when we step forward a little bit and start to think about uh, what Cuttable has got to do uh, with uh, uh, the area that we're in, as uh, some of your listeners may be aware, uh, in 1942, uh, midget submarines entered into Sydney Harbour and uh, in an attempt to sink the USS Chicago, uh, ended up uh, sinking the um, the ex-ferry and depot ship uh, HMAS Cuttable. Uh, that was alongside, in actual fact, on the side where I live um, is where the Cuttable uh, was. And we today have a memorial there for 
for that ferry with the loss of 21 uh, uh, sailors um, uh, on, on that evening. Um, and those submarines were actually uh, sunk and, and recovered. And today there's uh, portions of the submarine, uh, midget submarines down at the Australian War Memorial. But we also have a conning tower at our heritage centre on Garden Island. Uh, so interestingly, at that time, uh, HMAS Cuttable was actually known as HMAS Penguin. And I think you had a podcast on Penguin as well. Um, and and uh, so they were built a bit later. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we used to be Penguin. So it was decided um, uh, on the 1st of January uh, 1943, uh, the base was uh, recommissioned as uh, HMAS Cuttable in memory of those, um, of those sailors that lost their lives tragic time in Australian maritime history, losing all of those people. And uh, just an interesting little fact for you. So the Cuttable, uh, as a ferry, was built in Queensland. And um, and Cuttable, the name itself, is an Aboriginal. We believe it to be an Aboriginal word, but it's from the, 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 the language of that region, and it means wonderful. So what a wonderful place this is. <laughs> Uh, so you can tell us um, what happens on the base? What happens at HMAS Cuttable, Victor? Oh, right. So um, HMAS Cuttable, uh, it, it's the home to uh, nine of our major fleet units uh, and also to a large number of sub- other smaller support craft. And, um, you know, we, we are that place for those ships to come back to and, and, and do all of their preparation for sea. Uh, we get to look after their people. Uh, we've got medical centre here. We've got gymnasiums. We've got repair facilities. We've got, um, we've got uh, administrative uh, facilities to support people because, as we all know, there's always paperwork that needs to be done so that we can live our daily lives. And uh, as the commanding officer of Cuttable, uh, I'm the administrative commanding officer for everyone, uh, every uniformed person here at uh, Cuttable and Garden Island. Uh, not directly with the sailors on board, but I ensure that those people that are supporting them ashore are capable of supporting them correctly. Uh, so uh, quite a large job there. Uh, we refuel uh, the ships, um, and uh, but it's not just uh, Australian ships. We quite often have visiting foreign ships as well uh, uh, that, that will come in. And at the moment, uh, uh, we've got uh, two Korean ships uh, of their uh, uh, training uh, crews uh, here. Uh, we've had the Indonesians here recently um, and the New Zealanders. So we're, we're forever hosting uh, visiting warships. That's interesting, Victor. So they can pull up at the base and you know receive maintenance and fuel and and whatever other supplies or repairs they require. Are uh, you talking about the uh, the visiting uh, foreign warships? Yeah, just interested as to what they can get there. Yes, they can, but it's not free of charge. <laughs> Oh, we have to have an export industry somehow. Oh, that's right. No, look, you know, uh, the, the whole idea is uh, one, one of the big things about navies is we all have a common love of the sea. Uh, and uh, regardless of the language that's spoken and, and, and the style of uh, navy that we have, uh, there, there just seems to be a common common thread uh, with all of us and, uh, and mariners tend to look after each other. Yes, Actually, you just touched on something there that reminds me of an earlier podcast we did, Victor. We we had a lovely chat about the HMAS Sydney One 
memorial mast out on Bradley's Head. And, of course, it, Bradley's Head sticks right out into the harbour um, up near the heads. And something we forgot to mention in that podcast, and I wouldn't mind just checking with you, is I understand that every time a maritime ship comes into Sydney Harbour, uh, everyone's called up on deck and there's a long whistle blow and everybody salutes the mast as they go as they coming into the harbour, which um, which I wasn't aware of. Oh, it's just a mark of respect for a ship uh, with a great history, and, and it's there, so um, it makes sense. You know, um, as you'd appreciate, Navy is uh, built on a lot of tradition as well, um, and, uh, and and with tradition, it's about remembering. Uh, those that have gone before us and um, you know it, it is a profession an honorable profession that we uh, that we ply uh, and we do want to remember those that have gone before mm. uh, you mentioned a moment ago there Victor about you being the commanding officer of all uniformed people on the base um, how many would be on the base as a as an as sort of an average headcount. Uh, on average, there's probably about one and a half thousand uniforms here. Now, I, I, I do need to clarify though. I'm the administrative commanding officer, so I, I, I get to control everyone's lives when it comes to what the, their entitlements and, and and that kind of administrative stuff. But but a lot of those folk are a part of what we call resident units, and they have a a direct functional command uh, that deals with the day-to-day work that they do. So I'm responsible for how they live here, uh, whereas uh, what they do physically and specifically is controlled by their resident units. Ah, right. Understood. Yes. And uh, apart from the people in uniform, I assume that there would be, you know, perhaps many hundreds of of contractors and uh, perhaps public servants, you know, other people working on the base? Oh, there is. Uh, as we discussed earlier on, um, there, there is a dockyard here, and we oh, I haven't actually talked about the Captain Cook graving dock, but, uh, you know, the maintenance of ships is done by, uh, by uh, civilian contractors, um, and it's really important, uh, you know, with uh, the Captain Cook graving dock being the largest... Uh, uh, facility of its type in the southern hemisphere um, you know it gives us a great uh, ability to look after our own ships and uh, and visiting ships as well if they need need to do that so th- there would on a, on any good given day there might be between one and a half to two thousand contractors working around the place as well so we are a real hive of activity right in the middle of the city an industrial site uh, that is also a neighbour to a lot of residential um, properties. Yes, and of course, it's a great opportunity for Australian industry and small business to, um, you know, to work with um, with HMAS Cuttable and its staff, and uh, it's a, a wonderful source of employment for many people. Oh no, absolutely, and, and um, you know, people ask me what it's like uh, uh, commanding here, and and I just point out that it's a complex, dynamic environment where where uh, where you, you command, uh, but you don't necessarily always have influence. It's all about relationship building and, and uh, achieving things uh, that way rather than trying to use rank to get things done. Uh, because, uh, mm. as we all know, uh, you might be able to pull that off with someone else that's got a rank, but when you're talking to uh, non-uniform personnel, uh, there's a different way to deal with things. Yeah. 
I've, I've had an opportunity to come out onto the base um, on one occasion and I was amazed just to see the size and scale of the Captain Cook dock. It really is an incredible engineering feat. Um, and to think that that was once underwater, and, oh, yes. you know, throughout the, the late 30s and early 1940s, they built this amazing uh, infrastructure project. Oh, look, uh, it, it was a, an engineering feat, and they've even talked about it being more impressive than uh, building the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's uh, funny, you know, I'd said right at the start, I have this newfound appreciation for the base and what it has. And when I... I discovered what they achieved in building that. They reclaimed 30 acres of land. Uh, they filled in the waters around Garden Island up to Potts Point to build that um, structure. They did it in two and a bit years, I think it was. And uh, just to couch how much water goes into that dock, uh, in, in terms that is understandable, it's 87 uh, Olympic swimming pools uh, worth of water fit into that entire dock when it's filled up, which is significant. And uh, in terms of getting ships in and out, you've got to empty it. It actually empties one Olympic swimming pool every 37 seconds. So it's really significant when you think about it uh, in, in that way. Mm. Uh, so uh, interestingly enough, um, it, it was uh, finally completed in uh, 1945 and HMS Illustrious uh, was the first ship to be in there. In actual fact, she was in there three weeks before the official uh, opening of the, the uh, dockyard. Um, and uh, what was significant about it was the ability for for Allied forces to have a, uh, a facility of that, that type to uh, repair the largest of ships that was available during that period. Obviously, we know that uh, Singapore was lost and that's where we would have... Uh, prior to that to have done that kind of repair work so it was strategically important to um, to establish that capability and look at to be honest there was pushback even then but it was uh, you know sane heads prevailed and and we got it and 70 odd years down the track it's still a significant structure uh, that we will continue to operate uh, because of what it delivers uh, to our yeah. capability. Now, Victor, are there any other interesting facts about HMAS Cuttable that you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, other interesting facts. You know, I, 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 I'll be very honest. You know, I, I mix up Cuttable and Greater Garden Island uh, quite a bit. And, and so I, I apologise if I'm repeating some of the things that have been talked about previously. Uh, but, you know, we mentioned the, the gardens at Garden Island and why, why, uh, why it, it transpired that way. Uh, I'm not sure, but it may have been mentioned that uh, the tennis court, we have a tennis court up there at Garden Island. It was the longest operational uh, grass tennis court, the oldest uh, in Australia for quite a while. And it's continuing now, but it's been resurfaced, which is quite interesting in itself. Um, have, you played, have you played on the court, Victor? Yes, I have. It's just up. It's, yes. it's, it's yeah. in my backyard, effectively. So that, that park. Uh, and, and interesting. That's it. I'm coming over for a barbecue. Oh, and we've got electric barbecues there as well. And it's interesting that you say that because uh, uh, under normal circumstances, the, the, the northeastern part of the island uh, is actually open to the public via ferry terminal there. Um, it has been uh, not available for during COVID, but also some redevelopment 
that's been taking place on the northern end. But we're hoping in the next year or so uh, to uh, re-establish that access to the general public via ferry uh, because the park up there is amazing. There's an excellent uh, lookout, which is the old signal tower that was used prior to radios and the like. Um, we, we've got uh, the Navy Heritage Centre uh, is a superb facility that uh, that um, highlights and showcases a bit of the Royal Australian Navy's heritage there. And hopefully, um, when it does reopen, there'll be a cafe as well, which is which is marvellous. But just the parks there are a great place to go and visit. Which, interestingly enough, uh, during the 1800s, primarily what Garden Island was getting used for was a bit of a uh, a, a trip across the waters to have a bit of a nice we weekend outing and enjoy a park and, and a picnic. Oh, and, and wonderful to have that opportunity for residents of Sydney or people travelling to Sydney for a holiday to include that in their itinerary and go out and have a lovely afternoon or, or morning picnic on the point. Oh, that's right. There was one other interesting fact that the currently the uh, what we call the First Fleet Mess, named after the uh, the uh, 1913 arrival of uh, the Royal Australian Navy ships led by HMAS Australia, um, the the First Fleet Mess uh, uh, originally was uh, owned by the the Bushels family, and they donated it to the Navy uh, for use and used to be used as a headquarters for the uh, the Rands. Uh, and subsequently, um, uh, it's been turned into um, uh, it was it became an officers' mess, and now it's a combined mess used by uh, officers and senior sailors. Yes, and and is that uh, one of those beautiful sandstone structures you can see out on on Garden Island? Oh, it's not actually on Garden Island. It's uh, it's just on Wild Street, um, up up on the Potts Point uh, Potts uh, Point side of. Uh, uh, our base. Oh, I see. Yeah. All right. Well, look, thanks uh, once again. Uh, thank you to Captain Victor Policic for um, taking time to sit down and chat with us today. Um, I've certainly enjoyed this episode and have learned a great deal more about um, HMAS Cuttable and Garden Island. So thank you to Victor for that. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe to the series on your favourite uh, podcast streaming platform. There are more episodes that are available uh, that follow the journey of this year's trek. Uh, but for the moment, um, please keep working on those kilometres and bye for now. You've been listening to Bravery Trek Run Ashore. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, be sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all the latest episodes.